For most of us who read the Bible, our reading usually happens in quiet isolation. But for most of the Bible's history, it's been experienced only in community. How did we get from there to here? This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. show. I'm Alex Goodwin, joined by Paul Caminetti and Glenn Powell. And today we're going to explore what Bible engagement used to look like before each of us had our very own Bible or our very own 10 Bibles. For thousands of years, pretty much the only way the scriptures were ever experienced was in community, something that we've almost completely disregarded today. I don't think you're overstating the case, Alex, when you say it's been almost completely disregarded. And I was thinking about how many articles I've read down through the years on how to have a better experience with the Bible. And I don't know that I ever read this whole issue of reading in community, gathering people yeah. um, around you. So maybe we need a new, new article that would be titled, you know, how, in you, how you and your friends can get the most out of your Bible yeah. reading. Glenn, maybe yep. that's your your next <laughs> assignments. There you but go. I, th- I think it would be safe to say, though, that this is, you know, one of the reasons that the Bible isn't doing in the world today, and why we need a Bible, a Bible reset. You know, in our previous episodes, we looked at some other reasons why the Bible isn't doing well. We talked about the the modern form of the Bible as a barrier, and last week with Janine Brown, we talked about the fact that we largely ignore the fact that the Bible is an ancient book. Um, written in real times and real situations in different genres. But today we're going to turn our attention to this third, you know, foundational issue, and that is that uh, Bible reading in the modern era has become something of a solo sport. So we're going to start today uh, a small series on the lost practice of reading the Bible in community. And I think it would be good to begin with uh, this vision that the Bible as a community book is actually, you know, embedded in the scriptures themselves. And, you know, a good example is, uh, you know, the story of, of uh, Nehemiah chapter eight. Yep. Yeah. There's this great little story in, in Nehemiah chapter eight, if you're in, into chapters and just that sort of thing. If, <laughs> uh, if you've got Immersed Chronicles, it's on page 129. So you can grab that and read along. We're just going to read uh, the beginning of the story here. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon, and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Wow, I love that it has the comment that he just read for a minute or two and then he stopped. Right. Right. I mean, this is uh, eight verses. This is crazy to us. They stood from early morning until noon and they stood while the book of the law was read. And I think, you know, there's a lot of background here, obviously. Right. Yeah. The, the Israelites have just come back from exile. They're trying to reestablish themselves. They're trying to reconnect with their their God, their roots, their story, everything that kind of made them who they were, wondering if it's still viable for the future. 
And the leaders are saying, look, at the center of this revitalization, this renewal, if it's going to happen, has to be the reading of scripture. It's where we get our story and it's where we learn how we're supposed to be living. And so they are going for a very deep dive in the scriptures and the entire community gathers together to do this. They they will repent as one. They will recommit themselves as one. And it's not a bunch of individuals doing this, you know, in their hearts. It's the community saying together, we have to recommit ourselves to God and to his revelation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the reality is, too, that this wasn't like some sort of one-off Bible extravaganza. If you keep reading, uh, I think it's within the month they have the Feast of Trumpets, and so for another seven days in a row, they, they repeat mm. this. Right. Uh, and some scholars think that they, in that time period, maybe read the entire Pentateuch. Hmm. And to your point, Glenn, it was it was all the people together, and and it's it's significant that they mention you know it wasn't just the men and the and the children they they bumped it down to age levels to anybody who could understand. It's interesting to me that um, you know within the Bible itself is the story of the Bible coming into existence. I mean, it you can follow along as you're reading the Bible how the Bible itself came to be a collection of books. And so you get the idea in the story of Israel before the exile that they really weren't very familiar with the book of the law. You have various points where their ignorance of it is uh, a light shines on that ignorance. And we're like, wow, they don't even know this stuff. They're not reading it. And somebody finds the book of the law and they read it again and they find out about festivals they haven't even been observing, things they're not even doing. So there's this moment in the story right here where they recommit to knowing the scriptures. And from this point on, it really is a turning point in the story of God's people. They became regular, weekly Bible readers as a community. And of course, we're going to talk about that today. This communal part was at the very heart of it. I think it's significant that uh, up until that point, Glenn, I don't think that the, the concept that the scriptures were to be central Israel's life had really caught on, even though Moses and Joshua mm-hmm. had challenged the people again and again to do that. But at this moment, you know, what, what the solution had always been before for Israel was give us a new king. Mm, so right. They don't have a king now. In fact, they don't have a treasury. They don't have an army. They don't have <laughs> any of those, any of those things. But it is very significant that this time they said, bring out, bring out the scriptures. And mm-hmm. in some ways, this was, you know, the Bible's finest hour. Yep. Right. That's good. So the story, you know, of God's people communally, you know, engaged in the Bible goes back, um, you know, into this ancient period. And frankly, you know, it's a period before there's the technology of the printing press. There really isn't what we would think of as, you know, universal um, literacy. People can't read. So, Glenn, what did it look like back in that ancient world, um, and how did people then engage the scriptures, obviously communally? Right. It was communal. And I think the the reason in the first place why it was communal is because it was an oral culture. And I think we have to we have to understand this. We have to we have to try to get into the mindset of the ancient world, which of course is a big step for understanding the Bible anyway. Step one for understanding the Bible well 
is to try to think ourselves back into an ancient mindset, to understand what it was that all of this meant for them before we start talking about what it means for us today, which of course we want to get to, but mm -hmm. the place to start is in the ancient world. So in the ancient world, you just have to realize there's, there's none of this modern communication happening. So everything is done orally, and for it to be done orally, there's going to be gatherings of people. So, you know, Moses gathers the people before he dies and gives them a final sermon, recapping their history, and he gathers them together, stands on a high place, and presents his final message to the people of Israel. Very close to what we see in this passage, um, the speaker getting up on a high platform that was built so everybody can see and hear him. And so they're, they're doing intentionally oral things because that's the only way they have of communicating. They're not passing out flyers. There's, there's no other way to get messages to people. We have to think about communication in an ancient kind of world with technologically not advanced. And all they can do is gather together. So they experienced it as a people together. And even in smaller ways, um, the stories of Israel, we get this beautiful picture in the book of uh, Judges, where the victory of Deborah and Barak, the general over the Canaanites, they are gathering at watering places, it says in the song of Deborah, and, and recounting the victories of the Lord. They're gathering at entrances to the temple. They're gathering at city gates. Wherever people got together in groups, big or small, the stories of Israel, the history of Israel is told. And this is how the Bible itself, the entire story of God with his people, came to birth, was groups of people sharing and passing on what was done. And so even when we start to get written media, and of course, in the ancient world, the first form of that was a papyrus scroll, those things were hard to make. It was expensive to get the material. So it was still not common for there to be scrolls everywhere. Those things had to be read aloud to groups. And so the media in the ancient world was immediately oriented toward group communication, group intake, group discussion, um, group processing. Yeah, and I, I think that another reason why that idea just feels so foreign to us is because especially like in the West today, we're just totally saturated in individualism, right? Um, we don't really know any other way to think of ourselves. Uh, but the ancient cultural mindset was kind of a 180 from that. Like it was, it was totally community first, uh, group identity always came before what you thought of yourself as an individual. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, again, this is a hard one for us as modern people. We have, to, we don't, we don't make a case and argue for individualism. It's the air we breathe. It's, it's yeah. the way, it's the only way we think of the world. It's like me, the world, I'm processing things. I make my own decision. A lot of this has to do, as we'll talk about a little bit, um, the idea of being a consumer is inherently individualistic. I, I buy, I choose, I, I, I go to this church or I don't like it. I switch churches. It's me doing things and deciding what's right for me. Self-analysis, you know, exploring my own experiences. This is all different in the ancient world. Um, the Jewish scholar, John Levinson, is really good on this in all of his books. He talks about how the first 
point in understanding the Bible is understanding that they did not think of themselves as individuals first. They, of course, knew they were a person, but they thought of themselves as inherently, like metaphysically tied to a group. So you're part of your family, you're part of your clan, you're part of the people of Israel. And really, um, the communication with God the the place of the your place in the story is tied up with this group in terms of fundamental identity you just are part of a group and what the group does affects you as an individual but you don't choose to join it or not join it you are in it and so this identity thing i think is fundamentally different from what we know and that's why scott mcknight can say things like the bible just is a community formation book Hmm. Um, when it's talking about you, it's almost always talking about you, the group, you, the people, you, the congregation, not you, the individual. Yeah, I found this great thing on the internet the other day um, <laughs> called Y'all Version, where, <laughs> where this programmer or somebody went through and replaced the you, most of the you's with uh, with y'alls, and it's this it awesome. puts this great kind of tweak on the on how you read it. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it, it continues, you know, into the into you know the New Testament as well, you know, right into the Lord's Prayer. It's not, you know, mm. my Father who is in heaven. Um, it's not mm-hmm. give me this day my daily bread. Yeah. Um, it, it's mm, it's right. all very, you know, very very communal. Yeah. Yep. So, Glenn, this is this is fascinating to think of a world without really writing as being foundational to the way people understood life, to the way that they um, communicated to, to, to everything in their life is, is oral, as you've, as you've said. And I'm assuming that people were probably better listeners in that day <laughs> right. than, than, uh, than we are today. But, you know, paint a picture for us of, you know, this typical experience with the scriptures in ancient times and what that looked like. Yeah. So you think about it. I mean, the Bible's born in this ancient world, which we have to understand is foundational for understanding the Bible. So those two points that we've mentioned, the technology of the ancient world, the cultural mindset of the ancient world, both of those oriented toward community. So, of course, the scriptures being born in such a world are communal by nature. And I think just like we understand Jesus within the first century, and if you're going to understand Jesus, you have to understand the dynamics of the first century in Israel with Rome, everything. So it is with the rest of the Bible. We need to say, if I'm going to understand the Bible and its emphasis on community, I need to try to get into the world of the ancients so that I can make sense of it today. And what God chose to do was to bring the Bible into existence in this ancient world. So people are gathering together. You think about the the Psalter, which was brought together later in Israel's story. But before that, there's all these individual songs, which people are experiencing in communal worship at the temple. So the book of Psalms was not a book, first of all, for individual private devotions. It was the community coming together to sing songs of lament, praise, thanksgiving, all of this, um, and they were they just did it together. You think about the story of the birth of Israel, the giving of the law, all of those things were communal in orientation. Um, when they were read, and now in this story that we find in Nehemiah, right, it's all coming together where there's going to be regular 
um, weekly times coming together of reading the law being read so they'll really come to know it. And this is this is close to the time when the synagogue movement is going to be born after in the in the years after this, where they said, you know what, we haven't been a people of the book, but we're going to start being a people of the book. So so they didn't it wasn't enough to just read the law in the temple in Jerusalem as they finally started rebuilding that, the second temple. But they said we're going to build meeting places in villages for the law to be read. We're going to start making more copies of these scrolls so that synagogues around Israel, in every little village, people can come together weekly and will train people to be scribes and rabbis to guide discussions. But they're they're diving deep into the Bible, and the only way they're doing it is communally. So they're understanding the application, the living out of it communally, they're understanding it as a word from God into shaping them to be a certain kind of people. So the entire Bible, you could say, is really oriented in this communal direction. Community thinking, community living, that was the heart of it. So obviously things changed, right? <laughs> it's it's not that way today. So so what happened? Um, you know, the culture kind of starts bending towards individualism at some point, and the the way that technology kind of uh, restricted what they could do early on, right? They they didn't have too many writing materials, et cetera, which forced them into receiving the text orally as a group. Um, there, there were these technological advancements in how the scriptures could be written down and recorded that, uh, that maybe opened up some new ways to use it, uh, that, that bent more towards individualism. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. And this is going to be completely inadequate. I mean, it's a big story, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. the history of technological change and communication media, that's a big thing. Um, but so we can just briefly mention kind of the major points of that. Um, but it is important to understand because like so much of our experience of the Bible, we don't realize always how tied it is to historical and cultural changes, including technological changes. So as the technology of the Bible has changed, our experience of the Bible has changed along with it. And so now that we're more self-aware about all of that, I think we can start to be more intentional about how do we want to experience the Bible and are we making the best choices for having the richest and deepest experience of the Bible that we can. So I've already mentioned that an oral culture started writing things down on these papyrus scrolls still, of course, has to be communal. And so as we turn to the New Testament, we find that Jesus and Paul are in the in the synagogues. Scrolls are still being read, but it's right after that time. Um, even in the first century, the Romans are starting to use a new form. Rather than a scroll that's rolled up, they're producing what's called the codex, which is an early form of what we know as a book. Of course, it's not made from paper and it's not thin pages. It's made from animal skins. And so it's very bulky, hard. And first it was just used for short practical things like making lists for going to shops and things. You can find these ancient examples of them. But the Christians early on, the followers of Jesus, quickly kind of switched from scroll to codex and started writing their scriptures the First Testament, of course, the Hebrew Bible, but also the, the New Testament that was being born, the Gospels, the letters from the apostles. They start writing them into codex form, and the Christians were kind of the early champions of this new form. 
But even as the technology is changing at this point, the experience of them is still overwhelmingly communal. In Larry Hurtado's book um, about the early church um, against the gods. Destroyer of the gods, yeah. Destroyer of the gods. Thank you, Alex. He makes the point that in the early church, probably 90% of the people couldn't read. But yet they're continually having communal experiences. How do they do it? By making people really good readers. And it was actually a church office in the early church to be a public reader of scripture, a lector. And so what they're doing is gathering together. And those who could read the 10% were reading for the rest. And they're still processing it communally. So even with non-readers, this is pretty amazing that Hmm. they're becoming deeply familiar with the written work by listening, by hearing it being read. So this experience happened over and over again throughout, even into the Middle Ages. But then we get this kind of decisive change with the printing press, 15th century. So think how late in the game that is. But now, really for the first time in a significant way, you're getting Bibles mass-produced. And it's interesting, this historical convergence, which we've talked about before, how the birth of a new technology, together with the development of a new economic system, instead of just feudalism, right, slaves working the land for their lord, you're starting to get villages growing in Europe. And people are like saying, I'm not going to be a slave anymore for this guy. I'm going to create a little shop in the village and I'm going to make and sell things. So one of the things that starts happening is books start showing up in shops and people can go and get their own copy of the Bible. This is a revolution in the history of the story of the Bible, where now, like never before, people can have their own Bible to read at home. This was not a thing that happened before. And then within 100 years of this, of course, you're into the time of the Reformation. And now you have a a theological piece coming in that says, yeah, not only can you have a Bible, not only is there this new economy that's allowing you to purchase one for yourself, but we now have a theology that says things like there is a priesthood of all believers, and you don't need to rely on a priest to read and interpret the Bible for you. And so as as Europe is changing into this new modern culture, modern culture is being born, and it's being born in individualism. People are starting to say, I don't have my identity primarily as a member of this group. If I want to move to another village, if I want to make my own way in life, if I want to better myself, um, I can do those things. And so this new rise of this individualistic spirit kind of started in the Renaissance. Now it's going into the Reformation and getting promoted with theology, technology. It's kind of like this convergence of historical forces is, is giving birth to modern individualism. And so people are starting to do the Bible differently because everything around them has changed. The Bible gets changed along with it. And so I think it's obvious, you know, where, where this conversation is going, that the Bible was originally designed to be a communal uh, book. And, you know, the, the commandment that was given by Jesus and others was always hear the word of the Lord. Right. Mm. And now, you know, that's, that's obviously a communal exercise. It's a group of people hearing the word of the Lord. But now that you can read, now that you yeah. have your own codex, now it's you read the word of the Lord, and that's something that happens in private. 
Yeah, and I think there were there were some necessary corrections, of course, that happened in some of those mm. Reformation theological ideas, right? Like they were they were kind of taking uh, some of those institutional or hierarchical elements of the church that had been uh, unhealthy and and united the people with the the authority of the scriptures again in in certain ways but there was kind of this side effect right where it it totally democratized everything to the point where people started thinking basically i can just exist in this silo between me and god and form my entire worldview and theology kind of from scratch right yeah that's a really good comment alex the fact that you know there were corrections that were due to be made so the reformation was an important rediscovery of the foundational element of the bible um yeah. sola scriptura like it, that's it's the formal source of all the changes that came with the reformation so the emphasis on faith alone christ alone all the solas of the reformation are based on the fact that we've rediscovered bible reading and bible knowledge understanding living all of that so it is a really important corrective and it's pretty exciting actually that people can more people can read the bible this yeah. is is great i think what the reformers didn't foresee is where this would go they didn't yeah. foresee a world where every person qualified or not could do whatever they wanted with the bible um they they accept that there would still be church leadership. Um, there would be understanding of the tradition and history of the church through the ages in reading the Bible and making the best sense of it. Instead, um, and as, as you mentioned, kind of the democratization of Christianity in America, right? We applied this idea that every person is their own boss. And just like we did in the political realm, we applied it in the religious realm. So we kind of said, you know what? Religion is with me and my God alone, and I decide, I get alone in a room with my Bible. Some of the early pastors did this explicitly. They said, I try intentionally tried to forget anything I'd ever heard anybody else teach about the Bible. I'd get alone in a room, I would pray to God, and I would read my Bible, and whatever sense I made of it, that was the Bible speaking to me. And I think, wow. That's an incredibly siloed approach to understanding God and who has created a people and who has created gifted people to lead us and has had a tradition of people reading the Bible through the ages, all the way back to the early church fathers, all the way back to the Bible itself, who are, are there to help us and to process it together with us. Suddenly, we have this lifting up of the idea of individualism in the Bible that I'm supposed to do it all by myself. And in fact, that's the purest form of Bible reading and interpretation. And I think the reformers would be aghast at what actually happened to their vision. Yeah, I think it was it Stanley Hauerwas that said, uh, the problem is not how sola scriptura was used by the reformers themselves, mm. but how it's been used by us. Right. And uh, yeah, it's been been quite a departure from the the Nehemiah 8 story to uh to where we're at today yeah exactly and i think of you know i think this is the world that we've inherited now i mean we grew up in a world where you know i grew up in a strong christian community centered on the bible but um the heart of it was kind of like get alone have your private devotions your quiet time with god every day and again you know to your point alex these are good things but yeah. for us that was always the center like the primo Bible experience is you alone reading your Bible, 
maybe keeping a journal and and processing everything by yourself. And we have, I, as a young person growing up in a church community that was strong and Bible oriented, I can never remember being urged to experience the Bible in community with other people. And so as we're going to argue in future episodes, there are a whole set of gifts that come to us when we read and experience the Bible in community. None of that was presented to me as a young person. I was centered on reading the Bible alone and and doing what I could with it. I think that's, uh, you know, that that whole zeitgeist is something that, you know, has gathered over a 400-year period, and so it really is, you know, solidly entrenched in, in the evangelical mind. And there really isn't much imagination at all right now for a different kind of reading. So, Glenn, you were talking about, um, you know, s- several people that are, are fairly well-known even back into the, the uh, 19th and 20th century and their experience. And I just want to read one of them because mm, it, it, uh, I think it illustrates exactly what you're saying. This is from the, the famous evangelist Charles Finney. He said, I found myself utterly unable to accept doctrine on the ground of authority. That's amazing. Uh, I had nowhere to go but directly to the Bible and to the philosophy or workings of my own mind, I gradually formed a view of my own, which appeared to me to be unequivocally um, taught in the Bible. So there there it is. This really is, uh, you know, my private Bible, me in my room, uh, and the inner workings of my mind, and whatever comes to my mind and whatever I settle on, that becomes becomes the truth. And, you know, we're not trying to belittle the richness of people's personal experiences, but the fact that for these men uh, like this, the story ended. And to your point, there was never any suggestion of gathering with other people to check your ideas, to compare ideas, to hear if there were uh, nuances and things that uh, could be learned from scriptures through looking at uh, other other lenses. So this is really kind of the new invitation, you know, as we mm. come to the the end of, of this broadcast. Let's open up our imaginations to this communal reading of the Bible. And it could be as simple and uh, easy as getting a group of friends and saying, let's agree that instead of just reading, you know, individually in our own reading plans, let's find a plan, let's read together, and let's get together on a regular basis and have some open-ended conversations about what we've read. Yeah, that's a beautiful vision. And I I guess the point I want to kind of think about and emphasize at the ending here is, just as with the birth of the modern Bible itself, which we talked about in earlier episodes, that this new form of the Bible, with chapters and verses and segmented and dissection and all of the things that we think are normal— to do with the Bible. That happened because of technological and cultural changes. And it just kind of like, nobody sat down and said, I think we need to do the Bible in a completely new way. It happened because the Bible followed along with the culture and the world around it. I think the same thing is true with this reading in community versus reading alone dynamic, that the technology of communication changed, the cultural mindset of individualism 
changed. And therefore, our experience of the Bible changed without some church council meeting and saying, you know what, I think we need to start doing the Bible in a whole new way. People should just read alone and forget about experiencing the Bible with other people. That was never happened. These cultural changes just kind of happen. And I think we're we're not self-consciously reflective about what it means for our different kinds of experiences with the Bible. And I think once we're aware of the history, it kind of opens up new options to us. Like, hey, God's people always experienced the Bible in community, and there were gifts to be received there as well as the gifts of reading alone. And I think that's what we're offering to people is a chance to rethink Bible experiences. And let's explore together new ways of doing the Bible with other people, because as we'll talk about, there are lots of new gifts to be found in that kind of thing. Yeah. So as you said, Glenn, the the goal today was really to kind of do a thousand mile an hour <laughs> trace through the history of, you know, Ridiculous. community, yeah. yeah, you know, technological advancements, uh, philosophical changes, et cetera, that, that led us to where we're at today and just provide some background context for why why we're doing it the way that we're doing it today. Um, and, and next time we are going to be diving full on into what modern day Bible reading looks like. The good things, the things that we've gained by having our own Bibles um, in, in nice readable translations, those sorts of things, uh, the bad things and the things that have just been lost in, in this transition. So looking forward to, to diving into that on the next episode. Just a reminder that you can find all of our episodes and our show notes at thebiblereset.com. So feel free to send us questions or comments over there. And that's going to do it for today. So thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys on the next one.